0: Uh, but thanks for being here this morning. I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited for what we're doing here at Mission Gathering. Um, I know I talk about this a lot. I think like every other sermon illustration is about this, but if you haven't heard previously, uh, I used to work in my past for this this uh, this company that sold composite decking, and I worked in the warehouse. Anyone have like Trex? Everybody just calls it Trex. That's kind of like, like Kleenex or Scotch tape, but there's Trex and... Evergreen and Fibron and all these different brands. And I used to work in this warehouse. Um, you know, we'd, we'd sell this material, and I was kind of like the classic picker. You know, I'd assemble orders for delivery, and then I'd do the will calls as contractors, or customers would come to, to get their item. And this job, it was a very seasonal job, as you can imagine. You know, everybody, everybody wants a deck, you know, come spring and summer. So summers and, and sp- spring were very busy, and And, you know, rocking and rolling, lots to do. And winters were were like the opposite. And, uh, you know, very slow, not a lot to do. And um, I think I've told, I I always got in trouble uh, in winter, it seemed like, because I was just bored to death. And it was basically, I think I've told the story or something similar, where you're basically just trying to find things to do and making them take as long as possible so you don't get sent home early. So it was just, just a fun job, you know, during the winter. Um... But the thing that I found hardest about the job were will calls um, because, you know, people, contractors especially during the summer came in and, you know, they're off, you know, they're trying to wrap up a job, for instance, so they just need, like, one more board or, or five more boards or some of this and some of that. So you're trying to you're trying to rush to get their, their will call as fast as you can out the door to them while you're assembling an order for delivery, while they're the the kind of material around the warehouse. And the thing is about... Um, just the, the the kind of material we were working with was always quite interesting because uh, composite decking is basically uh, a melding of plastic and wood yeah so it's it's interesting I mean different different board manufacturers have different standards of pra- of plastic that go in like some will use like m- recycled milk jugs and then I've heard there's others basically just like throw an old diaper so you know do some uh, who knows what's in your your Composite deck board, I guess. But the th- interesting thing—the interesting thing about these boards—is they're very, very flexible. So when you got one up, we drive around these big forklifts. You know, it, it always made me nervous. So you had, basically have these two like big stabbers on the end, and I just had so many like nightmares about just like you know. I don't want to talk about it because it just kind of freaks me out. Like just one kind of just you know, you know. Um, so you drive around this forklift of like these big stabbers essentially, and you got these like. 2 x 12 by 20 pieces of lumber. Back in the day, I could just, like, carry one on my shoulders. Uh, that's how I got really buff, you know, carrying these big 2 x 12 by 20 pieces of lumber. And then you'd have these uh, equally heavy composite, just really dense boards, but uh, completely the opposite. They would flop, I mean, in the, especially in the heat, as it got really hot during the summer. I mean, you'd have one on the fork of them. They kind of, like, hang down like this. So you'd have these, like, you know, two-by-twelve-by-twenty boards that were just like a wing on your forklift, and then you have these composite boards hanging down like this. And, uh, like I said, the, the boards were up sometimes 20 feet, and our, our big garage bay door was only 16 feet. So we'd have to navigate, I don't even know if I can remember this, this kind of awkward, like, drive forward, back up with the forklift, and then, like, turn, and then you're going down the hill, and then, and all without of course losing uh or this piece of lumber or these composite board falling off cuz each board was up to like a board was 80 to 100 dollars just a board itself cuz obviously the boss would get really pissed off if if you if you break a board or if you just drop something so it was for me it was always an anxiety producing experience like bringing out these boards cuz then once you're once you've made it outside the warehouse the contractors often want you to put it on top of their truck or their van, so again you got this floppy, crazy material, and you're lifting it up on this forklift, and you're trying to, peep, you know, kind of bring it down and guide it on. And the thing was, uh, whenever a contractor wanted us or, or a customer, we were supposed to have them sign this the paper that had this little like liability waiver at the top. But you know, of course, I'm forgetful, and things happen. And sometimes I would forget to have them sign it, and it seemed like. Even if you did have them sign it, if you were helping this contractor you know carry in lumber or whatever, a, a load material, and something in their truck broke, like whether or not they signed the paper, like they wanted the shop to to reimburse them for the material or for their further uh, for the damage. so it was it was like I said it was always a will calls were always kind of a tricky experience in my my experience and um, to me, kind of a sort of if I can say that they're damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. And there was one time I was definitely uh, uh, I was definitely a damned if I can be frank because I, I did not. Um, so there's this this one time where it was, it was the winter months, and like I said, it was it was slow going, and you know I just would kind of just try to look busy enough for five hours before I would get sent home. And really, I didn't I didn't go home. I would go uh, I officiated high school basketball during that time. So I'd I'd work five or six hours at the warehouse, and I'd get in the car, uh, drive to a a school, and then change into my officiating clothes and do a couple basketball games, run up and down the court. And then I'd go home. I was in seminary during that time, so I'd do a couple hours of reading or homework or whatever. So, I mean, they were long, long days, and I kind of got, you know, I would often be worn out, you know, uh, at the warehouse and just I feel like the the worst thing when you're tired is just, like, having nothing to do and trying to pretend to be busy. Like, when you're busy, you can just power through it and just get it done, at least for me. Uh, but I, I didn't do—I was not good at, like, per, t- pretending to be busy. Um, so there's one day, you know, I had a will call come in, and it was, like, in the dead of winter, and it was overcast outside, and it was cold. And uh, I, had to, I had to, you know, get a will call, and I loaded it up on the— the, the forklift, and I drove outside. <laughs> and I came up to this guy's truck, and I parked. And there's two of them, two contractors. So I just kind of sat there. And it was cold, so I kind of just sat there like this. And I was tired, and I just kind of sat there. And it's like, here you go, guys. And these two contractors unloaded it. And unfortunately, um, the owner of the shop was observing this interaction. And he was not pleased with my level of customer service, you might say. And as as soon as I stepped back into the shop, I mean, I was right there at the front of the warehouse, in front of the offices, in front of the customer service. I mean, he just laid into me and ripped me a new one. You know, he was screaming at me about how terrible an employee I was, how I didn't care about anyone, and he knew I was in seminary during this time, so he was just like, you're never going to become a pastor. No church is ever going to hire you. I mean, it was just, it was kind of brutal, to be honest. Um... I have this rule I have this rule in church that um um you know I'm not I, I have this rule that uh I only share from my my scars not my wounds it's kind of a good uh thing I heard from another pastor and honestly this is a story that kind of is you know kind of borderline for me to be honest it, it didn't it didn't sit well then and it doesn't sit well even now to be honest and it it did deeply wound me um, because honestly, not had, not only had he insulted me as a, as a person, he also, what I felt, kind of belittled my call to ministry. So thankfully, I guess he didn't fire me, because that was, like, this was like 2010, 2011, and back in those days, it was hard finding a job. And if you had a job, you had to hang on to it. Um, so quitting wasn't an option for me. You know, I was in seminary. Karina was in school. So I just had to, I just had to eat it. I just had to eat that Anger and hurt. Really, I I had no no real power in the situation. Nothing, no real way to get back. So, uh, this is super healthy. Don't do this. Uh, But I found these. I'd I'd look for like little ways to kind of like assert my, I don't know, uh, assert my difference. So like they're uh, without getting too political. They're uh, the owner and his sons were very, uh, I don't know in favor of uh, military interventions, let's, for instance. So I I'd bought, like, a little peace sign, and I wear it on my t-shirt, just a little peace pin, just to, just to be different, just to try to get my difference in there. Um, They're also very conservative Christians, so I was, like, I'd have my theology books in seminary, read them out in the open proudly. You know, anything I could do that would not be, like, I try to, like, just get up to the line and just kind of just you know, I don't want to cross the line because I don't want to get fired, but I wanted to just, like, get a little bit, say, hey, I'm here, you know, not super healthy, to be frank, but, you know, it was what I did, and, um, like I said, it's something I had a hard time letting go of, and it's, like it, like I've mentioned, it's kind of stuck with me, um, and it's probably why I can, you know, I'd have these dust-ups, uh, for lack of a better word, here and there with the owner, because uh, I was kind of probably still grieved from the situation and trying to find ways to get back of him. I so, all again, probably not the, the best thing in the world, but it, it was me during that situation. And, uh, you know, I was, I was um, you know, I'd been hurt. I'd been, I'd been wounded. I'd been, what I felt, embarrassed, and I, I wasn't ready to let that go. I was mad about that. And hopefully, I'm hoping this morning I'm not alone in this, right? That uh, I hope I'm not the only one who's had a similar experience. You know, where you've, you've been hurt by someone, whether it, you know, it be an employer who's wronged you, whether it be a, a person you're in a relationship with that you have to stay with. Um, you know, having to be around just, in general, having to be around people who don't care about you, don't care about us. I'd bet it's something we can all relate to in some regard, I imagine. We all know what it's like to be hurt, what it's like to be uh, deeply wounded. And it makes it worse, doesn't it? It makes it worse from someone we know and we trust. We all know what it's like to see that offender get off scot-free and never face any accountability for their actions. We know. What, we all know what it's like to wait for an apology that will never come. And we all know what it's like to carry around that hurt and that anger, that resentment and that woundedness. and And you know, if you're like me, in some ways that can be helpful, right? Like for me, that, that really drove me. I used that, like, that anger and that hurt to drive me to like show him that I was his best employee. That just, I would work hard to say like, hey, I'm your smartest, most capable, most intelligent employee here. And I'm going to show you everything you think about me is wrong because I'm your best employee. And I had wanted to prove to him that I, you know, that I was smart and I was capable, not only as a, as a warehouse employee, but also as, as capable of being a pastor. But the thing is, and the thing was, it was never enough. And that's the thing. It's never enough. For someone who deeply wounds us with no self-awareness, for that person who wounds us, for someone who hurts us and has no intent of doing things differently, nothing we say to them, nothing we do for them, hopefully, maybe I'm wrong, it seems like, more likely than not, nothing we do, nothing we say, will ever be enough to change their minds. Now again, I think we believe in the power of transformation, right? We believe that change is possible. But it seems like more often than not, nothing we say to them, nothing we do to them is going to change their mind. That change has to come from within them, right? It seems like that most of the time, the, the, rather the longer that we hold on to that anger, the longer we're angry. The longer we hold on to that hurt, the longer we hurt The longer we hold on to that woundedness, the longer we're wounded. What do we do then? What do we do with that anger, that hurt, that woundedness? Well, some, what I think is good news anyway, today we're we're finishing up, we're wrapping up our series on Easter, how Easter changes everything. We're going to look at a well-known passage, perhaps you've heard it from Matthew's uh, gospel, the book of Matthew, and the one where Peter asks Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive? So it's a short little passage. Uh, We'll put it on screen here, Uh, and I, you know, I'd like to just read it for the sake of reading it from the Bible, but then in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 18, let me find Matthew, We're starting in verse 20 and 21, or 21 and 22, short and simple. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Now I think it's uh, interesting and worth noting that uh, many scholars think that the that Matthew wrote his book or he he assembled kind of all these Jesus sayings and quotes with his own his own uh, Christian community in mind, his church, if you will. And many scholars also think that this community, this church of Matthew's, if you will, was a community was a church that had a lot of conflict. So Matthew wanted to make sure that he included these sayings of Jesus in this chapter of this book so it could benefit his community, if you will. They could be guided, his quarreling members, by these teachings. Now this is, again, this is the chapter of the Bible that if we've been in church for any length of time, especially the kind of church we've been in, we've probably heard this, uh, these verses used by people in positions of power to flex Flex their muscle, right? I remember when I was a kid uh, in church, um, this young woman being made to come forward uh, and apologize in front of the entire church because she had gotten pregnant at a wedlock. So some definitely some bad history of people misusing this chapter and this text for uh, misusing what I believe that the text. So it is important to note, I think, that uh, as much as these, uh, this, this, uh, this chapter, as much as it has uh, help and guidance about solving conflict, it is all guided, it is all surrounded, uh, buffered by humility, reconciliation, and forgiveness. And it's that forgiveness that we want to look at today. So again, we have Peter coming to Jesus and Peter asks Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive? And Jesus says, not seven times, 77 times, or as, as some other translations have it, 70 times seven. And really, we don't know for sure because the, the Greek, the original language is kind of ambiguous. Either way, it's a lot, right? Either it's uh, 77 times, or if my math is right, 490 times. Now, we got to wonder, though, did Jesus simply mean we can forgive up to 77 times or 490 times? It seems like what's more likely is that Jesus meant that forgiveness was a never-ending effort. And that really, that would have surprised Peter, because when Peter asked even up to seven times, that was a big deal. Because the number in uh, Jewish tradition, the number seven, was like a holy, complete number. So Peter's saying, hey, I'm willing to forgive up to seven times. Isn't that something, Jesus? And Peter's like, or Jesus is like, okay, that's nice. Now forgive ten, ten more times or seventy more times. You know, a lot more than that. And for Jesus, you know, that, that wasn't enough. I think that's because Jesus uh, was trying to teach Peter something uh, probably we all know to some extent deep down, but are unwilling to admit. Forgiveness is a never-ending proposition. Because when we're reminded of that hurt from someone we trusted— When we see that offender facing no consequences, when we're waiting for an apology that will never come, we're going to keep having to intentionally change our attitude. We're going to have to keep working to let go of those negative feelings, we're going to have to keep resisting the urge to have vengeance. And forgiveness is going to be a long, ongoing process that may take seven times. It may take 77 times. It may take 490 times. It's an ongoing process. Now, while we're talking about forgiveness this morning, I think it's also important to talk about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not excuse wrongdoing. Saying that I forgive you should also imply, uh, don't do that to me again, or uh, what you did to me is not okay, don't do it again. (laughs) I was thinking back when I was in high school, I had a a Spanish class, and we were in this uh, little kind of narrow room, this narrow classroom, that was right next to a kid's uh, classroom. I went to like a Christian school, we were all kind of in these, kind of in the same campus together, and and I remember one day we we were in class and this kid was, I guess, banging on the wall you know, it's probably this second or third grade kid, and the teacher brought him into our room and, and paused the class and said, hey, you know, and she instructed this young boy to apologize, and we all, just a bunch of teenagers, just kind of rattled off, oh, that's okay, and Miss Reed, I remember her name was Mrs. Reed, she was a she was a really good Spanish teacher, when she'd get mad at us, she'd just kind of like start rambling off in Spanish, like, she'd just like teaching in Spanish, and I was just like, I have no idea what's going on, uh, but, she stopped and she said, no, class, we don't say that's okay. We say, I forgive you. Is that a wise lesson from a wise teacher? Forgiveness is also not a response to someone else's uh, contrition. Uh, and again, this is, this is personal for me. Uh, I, I won't share too much details, but uh, I was in this professional situation where uh, this, this colleague I was working with broke some rules and I took it to the superiors and said, what happened is not okay. And the superiors said, you're right, what happened is not okay. This person needs to apologize to you. Did that person ever apologize? Nope. Still waiting for his apology. <laughs> but I cannot hinge my forgiveness on this person's uh, Coming apology, right? Or else I'm going to be emotionally held hostage by the hurt that they've caused me or they've caused us. And also, we should say forgiveness doesn't come immediately. Um, even if I forgive this person who hurt me, did wrong to me, I wish it was that easy. I wish it would just, boop, gone away my anger, my hurt, my resentment. It's kind of like uh, in some way, someone said it like a spiritual batting practice. Uh, the Rockies offense is finally coming around right, and they've been scoring some runs. You know their their skill and their their ability to hit on the field doesn't come about by them just showing up. It comes about with them putting hours and hours of practice in the batting cage, refining their skill in the same way our ability to forgive those people that hurt us, it doesn't come the first time we forgive or the second time, it comes after repeated attempts to forgive and let that go. Spiritual batting batting practice for the game of life, if we can say. So if nothing else today, I want you all to understand the importance of forgiveness in your life, because we know this saying, right? Holding a grudge We know this, right? Holding a grudge is like drinking poison and what? Waiting for the other person to die. Trust me, I've drank a lot of poison over my life. And can I get some amens there? Yeah. Holding on to your hurt, your anger, your woundedness. I hate this. But holding on to your hurt, your anger, your woundedness will only... (laughs) <laughs> deep in that hurt, that anger, that woundedness within you. I wish it wasn't the case, trust me. And I think deep down we all know this, right? You know what it's like to be hurt by someone you trust deeply. You know what it's like to see someone hurt you and not, you know, be contrite for their actions. You know what it's like to be waiting for an apology that will never come, right? Right? It stinks. So, you know how important it is to be able to forgive and to move on from that hurt and that anger and that woundedness. If I can bring this back just like Jesus did. We forget that, right? We forget that Jesus forgave. Jesus forgave when he was on the cross being unfairly punished. Jesus forgave those who were hurting him. Jesus forgave. And, and I think this is why it's important to remember that Jesus was human also. We often talk in, in Christianity about Jesus' divinity, Jesus being God. Well, an, important, an important part of, of Christianity throughout the centuries has been that Jesus is also fully human. So when Jesus was hurt, when he was wounded, Sure, literally, but also mentally and emotionally, she's experienced those same hurt, that same woundedness, that same, uh, you know, anger that we experience. You know, he knew, right? He knew what it was like to be unfairly punished, he knew what it was like to be hurt by people he trusted. I mean, Judas, right? Peter. He knew what it was like waiting for an apology that would never come. And still he forgave. And this is, this is why it, it matters, why Jesus' humanity matters. Because if, if Jesus can forgive, then so can we. It wasn't just some divine thing by the power of God, Jesus forgave. It was we can forgive too as Jesus forgave. And that's why I believe Jesus' resurrection changes everything. That's why Easter changes everything because Jesus shows us how to live in a spirit of love and forgiveness. I think it's in, I want to add though, before before we're done, I want to add this. Again, I kind of mentioned that, that this, 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 this admonition of Jesus was written uh, by Matthew to, as many think, a group of Jesus followers not so unlike us here today. We are like them, we are human. We are like them, susceptible to conflict, we are, like them, a fairly new faith community. And I bet Matthew knew how easy it is, how easy it, it can be amongst new communities like his and ours to experience conflict and division. Now, of course, I mean, I hope most of us, right? We never intend to hurt one another. But as things grow and develop, hurt feelings, I think, are I don't know if inevitable is the right word, but I feel like they happen. So in order that that community not splinter and divide and fall by the wayside, because again, it seems Matthew was likely experiencing this within his own community. Matthew wanted that community to know that forgiveness must be a foundational principle. But what makes this principle so transformative is that when we put these principles of forgiveness into our community, we begin to carry these principles outward beyond this time and this place and this space. We begin to carry it out into our families, into our jobs, into our wider communities. The spirit of forgiveness begins to transcend Transcend ourselves and transform our contexts in ways unimaginable. We become, in some ways, I think, an example to others about how to forgive and transform and to let go from our woundedness. Man, I think we all know, right? Our world is just stock full, it is full of angry, wounded, bitter people. People who have held on to that anger, to that hurt, to that woundedness. People who need to know and experience the transformative power of forgiveness within their own lives. The good news is, the good news is that we, as a community of followers of Jesus, we as individual followers of Jesus, can be a shining example guiding people towards finding freedom to those looking to move on from the pain and hurt and anger. Now, no, we can't do it alone for them. I wish it was that easy, right? But modeling by modeling forgiveness in our own lives in our own contexts, in our own families, we highlight the transformed lives made possible by forgiveness. And I think that, in a way, begins to... I think that, in a way, forgiveness begins to seep out and change those around us. When we practice forgiveness within our own lives, our own relationships, our own church, I believe that begins to change those around us. That, that is the power of forgiveness. Let's pray.